Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm the DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who will believe in love and all that it's supposed to be, but just until the fish start to smell and he's struck down by a hammer. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a special guest who's a producer, composer, and a musical artist with his own releases. He released a record earlier in 2020 entitled Little Idols. Please welcome to the podcast, Jordan Laning. Hey there. How are you guys? Good. Did I I pronounce the last name properly? Uh, Lenning. Lenning. Okay. All right. That H threw threw me off a little bit. It's everybody, man. You're, You're not alone. All right. Well... Then I, I'm in good company then. All right. So premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, we ask the all-important question. So I'm going to start with Wayne. What T-shirt are you wearing? I am wearing the Black Crows War Paint album cover T-shirt. All right. Perfect. Which which album is that? War Paint. What, in, in succession? Oh, gosh. It's later on. It's I want to say it might be early 2000s, 2008 maybe. Okay. So before it's, it's before before Lions. Chris did his own thing then, right? Uh he I think he's done his own thing intermittently after maybe the fourth or fifth album, but yeah, this is Gotcha. This is before Lions, I know that. Okay. How about you, Jordan? What t-shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing my Sound Emporium studio uh t-shirt from the studio here in nashville okay perfect i do not have a band t-shirt otherwise uh i would have put one on so not into band t-shirts that's correct (laughs) i'm not like anti-band shirts. it's just not what i think of buying when i think of buying clothes gotcha yeah all right uh you're you're more professional then is what you're saying I guess I just, you know, you want to be able to cater to any client that walks through the door. So you don't want to turn anybody off, I guess. There you go. All right. Um, and I'm wearing, actually, I had to look down. So I'm wearing my uh, Noah Gunderson t-shirt, Wayne, that I've worn a couple times where it's, uh, I listened to Noah Gunderson and all I got were these stupid feelings. <laughs> so good. it's one of my, one of my favorite t-shirts. I love Noah. All right. Um, well, Jordan, um, so I'm looking at your bio. So producer, arranger, composer, uh, you've produced and arranged records for a lot of different people. Um, and you come from uh, a family that also does some production work. So your your dad is also a producer, correct? That's right. Yeah. And and I, I had to go to Wikipedia because I I, I didn't know your 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 dad. Um, so his name is Kyle, mm-hmm. and I guess he is the longtime producer for um, Randy Travis. That's correct. So how did how did that happen? How did they get hooked up together? Randy was working at oh god, what's it called? It's this a uh, little uh, honky tonk near. Opryland, well, what was Opryland is now Opry Mills, the mall now. Uh, and a woman named Lib, who later became Randy's manager, saw him singing one night and signed him as an artist and then started uh, looking for a producer. And they landed on Dad and they 
started making records and it, you know, I think it kind of happened quickly, that, that working relationship. So I'm assuming that uh, with you being a producer that you probably were in the, 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 the studio with, with your dad and learning kind of what he was doing then? Yeah, I was, I was definitely around a lot. You know, I was at the time that they were making that stuff about four years old. Um, so, you know, when I, when mother's day out wasn't around and my mom had to do something, I was at, I was at the studio. So that was, that was a lot, a lot of time. Yeah. I I think it said that, uh, you have some, some brothers who are also in the, in the, uh, the, the music industry. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. My oldest brother, Jason, um, is a great producer, mixer, engineer, and writer and, um, was a large influence of mine growing up. And then just, uh, I have three old brothers. So there's Jason. And then three years younger than Jason is Ryan, who is a sound exchange, a copyright lawyer for sound exchange in DC. And then six years younger than Ryan is my brother, Eric, who is an excellent, uh, singer and songwriter doesn't practice as much in it or dabble as much in it as I do, but, um, is very, very good. And, uh, is also a great screenwriter and visual artist. So it's a, it's a bit of an artsy fartsy family (laughs) family (laughs) affair. Yeah. So you, you have your own studio, I'm assuming this is in the backyard of your, of your neighborhood. Yeah. It's backyard. Uh, you know, it's like 50 foot walk from my house. It's great. Nice. And you call it the duck, the duck. Yeah. Why, why is it the duck? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> okay. All right. Keep keeping, keeping some mystery. All right. That's good. All right, so so before I jump into your your record, so I I just wanted to go through a couple of the 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 artists that you've worked with. Um, it says that you've arranged things for uh, Casey Musgraves, and you also did some work with um, Rest in Power, Justin Towns Earl. Yeah, yeah, Justin's great. Um, yeah, I'm still kind of. You know, I didn't, I, I'm really close with friend with people that were very, very close with him. Uh, and I yeah. knew in a little bit, but, uh, it, it, every time, you know, if I'm looking around social media or something and there's something, you know, Steve is going to do a tribute record and you see a picture of Justin. It's like, I saw that that's me. I just, uh, it's so sad. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's tough and it's, you look at it and you just kind of forget you know, and then you, then you remember and it's very sad. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I had an opportunity to see him a couple of years ago. I was, uh, in New York for, for work and, uh, just happened to be on my birthday and, um, Lily Hyatt was opening for Justin Towns, mm-hmm. Towns Earl. And, and, uh, I was like, ah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, jump the subway and I'm going to go see Lily. I was, I'm a big fan of Lily. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was like, well, I'm not a huge fan of Justin. Like I know, I know his stuff and, um, I'll see Lily and, you know, I have a meeting first thing in the morning. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get back to my hotel room at a decent hour and maybe I'll watch five or six songs from Justin. Yeah. I watched the whole set yeah. cause he was just, 
so engaging. He had so many great stories behind his songs and, you know, and he was very open and honest. I mean, he talked about how he was, you know, an addict and uh, that his upbringing was not great and growing up didn't have a real great relationship with his dad, but there was that connection to, to music between the two of them. So yeah, yeah, big, big loss, big loss. Yeah. You know, as they sort of say that his er earlier on records were, were the most successful, but you listen to the stuff that he was putting out recently and those songs, you know, there's no fat on any of those tunes. The the writing is really, really great. It never, never, his writing was always really good. Yeah. 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 Big loss. Um, so you've also produced a number of artists and I don't think your website has been updated over the last two years. Cause I think, um, there were a number of records that you produced in 2018, but didn't see anything more current. Um, Lydia loose. Oh yeah. Lydia. Yeah. I got to fire my secretary to update all that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw her at the St. Pete music festival last, uh, last year, last fall. And she's just amazing. I, you, you did Azalea, right? Yeah. Yeah. That the song Helen is just amazing. And that. Wayne, that is about, that's about Mount St. Helens. Oh, wow. About Harry, Harry, what was his name? Harry Truman. Truman? Yeah. yeah. My friend, uh, Skylar Wilson, who actually did a bunch of the Justin records, Skylar and I produced that record together. Um, and yeah, Azalea is great, great fun making that record. Yeah, she just put out a new song yesterday yep. called Dark River, yeah, it's really great as well. That my brother Jason actually engineered that one. Oh, perfect, great, excellent. Um, you also did some work with uh, actually, you've done a couple records with Andrew Combs. Yeah, I did uh, All These Dreams, Canyons in My Mind, and then the EP, uh, Five Covers in a Song. Which that kind of makes sense since he has a very Rufus Wainwright vibe to him, which I'm sure we'll talk more about yeah. uh, here soon. My fault, yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, Elise Davis. And uh, Wayne, one of our recent guests, Stephanie Lambring. Brought, uh, brought up Elise's name as somebody we need to have on the podcast yeah, as absolutely. a as a guest. Oh, cool! So, yeah, Elise is great. We I, I love working with her. I just haven't gotten to the invitation yet, so I'll get there. I'll get there. <laughs> but you've you've been busy this year doing your own your own work as well. So you just released an EP of piano based songs. I guess it's called In Fall, or is that just? what it defaulted to because there's, there's three different songs about well, the seasons. It's not, the EP is not complete yet. So there's a fourth, oh, okay. fourth piece called in winter and the whole EP is actually called, uh, apparition of St. Mark's in four seasons. And, you know, each track there's like in summer and spring and, you know, yada, yada. And then once the, once the fourth one comes out, which I think is sometime in December, the whole EP will actually come out. Gotcha. Kind of reminded me of um, Wyndham Hill based artists. Mm-hmm. Am, am I dating myself by by using that reference? I think so. Because <laughs> uh, like George Winston comes to mind. My my sister was a big George Winston fan. Oh, so yeah. yeah. Um, but you also put out a full length album called Little Idols, and that's you singing. Um, 
as opposed to the instrumental type stuff. Um, and very reminiscent of the artists that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's dive into a couple of those songs. If you don't mind, the first track is, uh, Ula Loom. What is an Ula Loom? Uh, that's something else I can't tell you. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, it, I, I can't tell you. It's, it's all in the song. If you, if you dig into the tune, it's in there. But um, that's as much as I, I want to say about it. All right. So it's not like Phil Collins' Susu Studio, right? <laughs> all right. How about uh, Corey Sung? What, uh, and I'll, I'll just so you know, I'll talk about anything else, but I'm not talking about a little. So Quarry Song is a tune that I wrote initially with um, Aaron Ray and Ian Fitchick. And okay. it came over and I had a verse and a chorus written and I thought Aaron would just sound great singing it. And um, so Ian, I called Ian to see if he wanted to co-write it with me and Aaron and uh, with the intention of hoping to, you know, record it with her and then maybe uh, flirt with the idea of making a record. Um, And we got through the song really quickly. And then over the course of a year, I kept bugging her about it and saying, Hey, we should, we should really record that tune. And she kept going, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And we just never did. And um, I, uh, I was compiling tunes to put together and I thought, you know what the hell with it? I'm just going to, I'm just going to track that song. And I even thought like, as long as I get the drums, I can at least replace the bass and guitar. If she decides to sing it and put it back in the key that she would sing it in. Um, and then it sort of became as, as the batch of songs grew, it sort of became the centerpiece of a story that I realized I could make out of this record. Um, so then it was sort of pointed no return with that too. And it was like, okay, this is, this is definitely a, a big fixture in this, this project. So that song is about a couple uh, or rather two people that are in the middle of an affair, you know, kind of going out for the last time, realizing it's the last time they're going to be together and, you know, sort of the bittersweet uh, feelings behind that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It's a great song. Thank uh, you. One of one of my one of my favorites on on that uh, on that record. Thank you very much. Over and 
So, so question on, on production work for you, because you have a, a number of songs where there's a lot of moving parts. Like typically when you're tracking these, these songs, how many separate tracks are you bringing together? I mean, what's, what's a typical, what's a typical Jordan song look like as far as uh, tracking for, for different instruments? Do you mean like how many tracks per song or how many tracks per? Yeah. Well, it just varies. I mean, per song. Yeah, it totally varies. Like, um, for instance, Ula Loom, there's an asinine amount of tracks on that because I, yeah. I'm playing every, I'm not playing every, I'm playing all the percussion. So there's like shakers, bass drum, uh, something I've just written down is clack, which is like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> side of a bass drum and I'm hitting like sheet metal and stuff. Oh, cool. I track that. I'll do like a close mic and then a room mic. Uh, And so that stuff adds up a lot. So probably just in percussion, there's probably 20 tracks. If you include two tracks and the close is one, it just, it adds up pretty quick. Um, Yeah. You take a song like uh, little lie that's very few, you know, because I've just got two on the guitar, which I've doubled. So that's four. Watch that. Watch this turn into like a hundred tracks as I as I talk about this. Uh, <laughs> and it's just a mono vocal. So there's probably on on Little Lie. There's probably only sixteen. So okay. As you know, typically as few as eight, and as many as a hundred. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Favorite song on the record for me, Treasures of the Flood. Oh, cool. I yeah, really I, enjoyed that. Really. Yeah, I like that song too. What's what's the story behind Treasure of the Treasures of the Flood? Well, I'll tell you. So, you know, Little Idols is is loosely based on the Nashville flood, which happened about ten years ago. And yeah. um, that time period is really special for me because that's right when uh uh, the woman who is now my wife, mother, my children, her and I were, were getting together and she had this apartment um, on West end up, you know, like the third or fourth floor. And we were just kind of camped out in her apartment for the flood. And it was while this, while the world was sort of going underwater, we were sort of, you know, getting wrapped up with each other. And it was this really kind of beautiful, sweet time where the world just went away and it was just us. And of course, when, when the water cleared away and the, you know, the pavement was all cracked and you just sort of saw how terrible everything was. And the title treasures of the flood at that time, I actually came up with that title then about 10 years ago was about when the grand Ole Opry was flooded and all these, there's a guy named Steve Gibson who is like, was running the grand Ole Opry at the time. And he's a friend of my dad's and I overheard a conversation about all the instruments are just are gone. They were just gone. Like the guitars from, you know, the turn of the century that were literally priceless, just got swooped up and taken away. And as he was telling my dad, this, there was tears in both of their eyes. Like, you know, it's just watching their history getting kind of swept away. And it was yeah. really tragic. Um, but then I thought of the title, you know, Treasure of the Flood, if there's, you know, somewhere in there, there's these things. So I reoriented it in the, uh, for the sake of the record 
to for it to be sort of you know these things lost in that because that the record does take place during the flood as well and for this guy this character in the record it's sort of the memories of being with that person or, or things that are lost in the treasure of the flood essentially yeah yeah i did i did the the opry tour a few years ago and they even show you during the tour they're you know they point at some of the the wood uh and the and the concrete and they're like do you see that discoloration and, and the discoloration is like probably what five or six feet up yeah. and they're like that's from the flood it's crazy yeah. I remember when it was happening it was not like i don't think we noticed how intense it was for a couple of days because it it started raining and it wasn't like a deluge. It was just like, Oh, it's raining and it's not really stopping. And then we kind of looked up and, and the town was totally flooded. It was, it was pretty wild. Yeah. Crazy. So I listened to uh, a few times to the record and, um, you know, after you listen to a record, Spotify tries to create a playlist based on, based on the artist. So Spotify kept bringing up songs from Nicole Atkins. Do you have any connections to, to Nicole? I know Nicole. Um, I don't know her super well, but I've always had pleasant exchanges with her. Um, and I'm a big admirer of her stuff, but, uh, we don't have any creative connections. Interesting. The other thing that Spotify was trying to do every that whenever it would bring up another one of your songs in the playlist, it would always bring up patience. I'm wondering if Spotify is trying to tell me something. Patience from my other record. Yeah. Maybe perhaps you never know, but that song is, you know, patience is about kind of saying to hell with patience. So it works both ways. (laughs) that's uh, that's pretty much sums up 2020 for me yeah wayne um anything on on jordan's music before we uh dive into the i you know i listened i really liked Ula Loom, and uh i'm gonna try to find the lyrics somewhere just figure it out uh i i definitely got the choice after listening to it i can definitely see how uh rufus wainwright was a was a inspiration an influence Mm-hmm. Big time. All right. So Wayne just kind of gave it away. So, um, so Jordan, tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. Um, the record that I think I reference most when I make a record, if not every time I've ever made a record, is Rufus Wainwright's uh, self-titled debut, uh, which I see written here was released May 19, 1998. Yeah. This was, and this was kind of a big deal because it was on DreamWorks, mm-hmm. which um, that was no slouch of a record label back in the the nineties. The um, album was produced by 
Jean Brion. I'm assuming you're also a fan of, of Jean's work. I love that you just, so it's actually John Brian, but I got to tell you, that's exactly how I pronounced it too. When I was a kid, I was like, this guy's got such a French thing. He's obviously French, but he's, I think he's just literally from like, he's definitely a Midwesterner or a West coast kid. We've heard it now two different ways. So we actually did, we actually did an episode on John and the people who keep bringing it up as John, which is why I started pronouncing it. They're West coast people who have gone to some of his, um, his, I don't know, his, he used to do like these monthly, monthly shows there in LA. Yeah. So it's, it's John Bryan. Uh, All right. Well, we're going to go back to John then Wayne uh, and enough of this trying to sound fancy. Yeah. I never left. I I love it. Person say it that way. And I, I wasn't convinced. I I love it. (laughs) I go for that at first. I would, um, I mean, look, if you could pronounce my name with a French accent, I'd take it. I'd love that. Right. Right. Yeah. He, and, and I think John is, is all over this. I mean, I've got a number of comments, uh, uh, about, you know, comparing his, his one record that he did by himself. There's a lot of elements, uh, from that record with this Rufus record as well. A hundred percent. And you know, you look at his stuff around what he did on this and it's, it all has that color and it still does. The stuff he's still making feels like this. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get introduced to this record? My brother, Jason. Uh, so Jason and I are, are 12 years apart. You have to remember. So in 1998, okay. I was 14 or 15, about 14 years old. And I was into like the residents and Frank Zappa and screaming Jay Hawkins and Thomas Dolby and the Pixies. And, and this was like the last thing I would be interested in. Um, and he's like, you gotta listen to it. You gotta listen to it. I listened to it. He said, what do you think? I said, man, I hated it. It just wasn't, it's not totally not my thing now. Cause I was like listening to Iggy pop less for life. And I was into Bowie and, and glam kind of stuff, which I, I guess could be argued this is this is very sentimental glam, I guess. Uh, but Jason was bummed that I didn't like it. And I gave it a second a second shot and uh and really spent some time with it and then really kind of fell head over heels in love with it. I thought it, I still think it's a kind of an undeniably amazing piece of work. So so I gotta ask you from from a personal standpoint. Because typically when one of our guests introduces us to a record that I may not be super familiar with, I will listen to it four or five times. And, you know, quite honestly, Wayne, and you can, you can jump in here. There's been a few of the records that we've talked about that it did take me a few times to really get into, Um, you know, Gillian Welch comes to mind that took me that took me probably four listens before i'm like oh now i'm now i'm getting it and i would have to say that john bryan's record probably took me three times to get through before i kind of really caught the vision i listened to this record 
I think today was probably the fifth time that I listened to it. And I'm, I'm, I think that I'm finally starting to get it. There's a couple songs that have really resonated with me, but you know, for you, Jordan, how many times did it take for you to, to finally go? I really love this record. I mean, it was probably like one first listen. I have no interest. Okay. I should listen again. Okay. Second time, eh, you know, I don't know. I there's, I was just pinpointing stuff I didn't like. So probably realistically, I probably wasn't madly in love until the eighth time where I was like, I completely get this. Uh, yeah. And beyond that, it was something that I, you know, then it, I couldn't get enough of it. Wayne chime in here on this. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, I, I laughed during his ex, because we've obviously, I'm a huge Bowie guy. We just were doing hunky dory. And so right after yeah. doing that, I start listening to this and it's, it's completely different. And it, it did take me and I, I didn't necessarily count the listens. I just, I knew I I listened to it probably twice a day for the last, I don't know, three or four days. And it, it does grow on you. And I, like he said, I think that's, that's a great point is when you first listen to it, you start to pull out the things that you don't like. And I think once, cause he has kind of an awkward cadence and he, his voice isn't totally unique, but there's a, there's definitely a uniqueness to it. And so it takes a little bit and then, but once you kind of fully embrace it and I, I always, it's amazing that every time I, I I'll listen to the songs and then I'll read the lyrics and it'll all, you know, I kind of just focus on it a little bit, reading the lyrics and listening to it. And it all seems to start to fall together. And then those, then you're, you all of a sudden are pointing out the things that you like. And I think that's when you know that the tide has turned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. So the tide turned for you? Absolutely. I mean, it is completely different than anything that I've been listening to. Um, like I'm in love with the new uh, Brendan Benson record. I've been listening to that. And so this, this is different, but I, every time we, we, come across something that I like I say I had heard his name, but never listened to his stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm a fan. It take it takes a little bit to get to that point, but then you, you start, yeah, like you say, you start to see the things that are interesting about it and different from other, other music that you're listening to. Totally. Yeah. So Wayne, you brought up his voice and the cadence is a little unique, but yet maybe sounds like, some other people like one of the notes that I wrote on here was sometimes I get a Billy Joel vibe on his cadence. Wow. I, uh, I did not, but I, I, I really didn't think that much about Billy Joel during this. How about you, Jordan? Do you, do you compare him with any vocalists? Well, interesting. So I know that he was a, uh, really and still is a big fan of opera growing up and um yeah and he kind of has the type of voice that i wish more opera singers had where it's distinct his range is crazy he can go very low very high his breathing control is insane um and it's it sounds more like you know um very characteristic opera you know or like a there's a there's a batch of song cycles by Mahler um called one's called kinder toten leader and it's written for tenor and uh wainwright could totally sing this and you'd hear it and you would know it was him yet it would somehow have this like 
150 year old quality about it. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that's where he lands is like, he exists outside of, uh, or at least his voice exists outside of a genre and, uh, is very confident except very personal at the same time. I think it's a really, this of course is after the eighth listen, <laughs> you can kind of come up with this. <laughs> right. Um, at first, the very first, it's like, you know, water being splashed at a cat. Um, but then you kind of, you get comfortable <laughs> with it and you go, Oh no, this is extremely, it, I just feel like you're, it's very personal. It's, it's a very personal, uh, sounding voice. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Should we, should we dive into the record? Let's do it. Let's. All right. So as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. So Wayne, how many songs on this record? 12. Which means our top song is going to get 12 points. Next favorite, 11 points on down to the lowest score of one. Let's kick this off. This is Foolish Love. The song doesn't really start kicking into gear until about two minutes in. You guys okay with that kind of slow, that slow burn? Well, not initially. Initially, I thought uh, just the first few listens uh, that it wasn't a very good choice for an opener until, like I say, once again, until you listen to it a couple of times and it all starts to come together. And even like say, I read the lyrics in those first two verses are that, you know, fear, you know, maybe the guy's been, in a bad relationship before, but that, that whole like very uneasy, like, I don't, I don't want to set myself up for this kind of thing. And then, so that's all part of that, that middle section kind of the tempo picks up. And even I think into that first, when he says foolish love, it kind of ascends into that. And so there's this, and then it, then it just goes into this real, like Gene Kelly swinging around a lamppost in love kind of thing. Uh, and what I really, what really sold me on the song is when I, 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 it ends exactly like it begins, which makes that whole middle section almost seem imaginary, mm. which will tie in to the end of the record. That's cool. Yeah. Jordan, what do you got on this one? Well, uh, you know, if we reference um, Lust for Life, which is what I was listening to ad nauseum when I was, listen- when I was introduced to this record. Lust for Life just starts with that giant drum entrance. And this is like the total opposite of that. So uh, I think that's one reason I didn't love the record the first time I heard it because it didn't kick my teeth out, you know, out of the gate. And of course, what it's really doing is telling you to slow down and, you know, like get comfortable for a really kind of incredible journey through this soundscape. So at first glance, it was tough. And then, I couldn't, now I can't imagine it starting any other way. Yeah. And, and maybe I still need to listen to it three more times to get to that eighth magical number. 
Jordan, that you mentioned. I, I did kind of find it an interesting choice for a first song because, Wayne, you know I I talk a lot about starting off your records and announcing your authority and kind of punching you in the face. And, you know, Jordan, to your, to your comment, he, Rufus is not wanting to punch you in the face. Like, he, he wants to give you a little bit of the slow burn, kick it up about, what, at the three and a half minute mark where you get in all sorts of orchestration and that's where John Bryan is kind of announcing his authority. And then you slow it down again. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Should we get some scores? Absolutely. All right. Let's start with Jordan, your score. I have on this five. All right. Wayne. I gave it an 11. I could say once I, I kind of read the lyrics and then, and, and felt, you know, kind of the mood shift like into the into that big middle section. And then there's like I say, I feel like there's a tie-in to the last song. So I like how I like how it all worked. So I give it an eleven. All right. Well, then I'm feeling bad with my score because again, I like the getting punched in the face for the first song. So this is my two. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. Um, all right. Next song is Danny Boy. This is not the popular Irish ballad by the same name. That's correct. Did anyone did anyone get any Irish vibes on this I record did. at all? I got. I really get. I mean, it's. I describe it as a quality in my notes. There is an Irish kind of folk quality to this song. Um, it gets a little bouncy, so it's not you know. It's, and then the trumpet does not say Irish pub sing along, but there is there is a quality in there that I kind of like. I don't know. I focused on. There's an old West saloon type of piano styling on this song, though. Mm-hmm. The tech piano. Yeah. So it's is that is that an Irish quality that you're talking about, Wayne? I, you know, and that that could very well be part of it. Especially, I, and I think the first line, "Your skin is cold," kind of made me feel like like the individual is dead. But by the end of the song, I really feel like it's more of "You're dead to me." Okay. Jordan, what do you got on this song? Oh, man. I mean, uh, you have to remember when I'm listening to this stuff, I hear there's so much production that I'm absorbing. And the decision to start with tack piano and that funky, uh, I I guess it's like a six-string electric bass, picked how it's played and then waiting uh, until the second half of verse two, I think, for the full band to come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that like, it's, I can't, I mean, this is like why I have sheet metal and stuff on my records. Cause it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't sound, I can't figure out what it is. It's just like, you know, it's the kitchen sink is what he's playing. So orchestral, you know, orchestrally from that standpoint, this record just throws everything out the door. There's, you can, you know, something. And, and with this song specifically is, it, you can't really tell where the drums stop and the piano begins that everything just sort of blends together so well on an arranging standpoint. 
uh, I mean, it's a stunning, I think it's a stunning track. Yeah. If, if the orchestral stuff wasn't included in this song, I would say that this is go back to my comment about Billy Joel. This would be like 52nd street type of, of material, but because he's throwing in, I mean, I wonder how many tracks he's, he, he's got for this particular song. Cause there's a lot going on. Um, a lot, a lot, lot going on. One thing, one thing I, w- I did want to ask you guys. So the first song is almost six minutes long. It's five minutes and 45 seconds. This one is six minutes and 11. Um, are they, t- I felt like they were a little too long, at least for my liking. Are they, are they good f- in length for you guys? Yeah, I haven't, I didn't, I, there were songs on here that I thought went a little long um, or had maybe a little, there was, my favorite song has a little bit of trouble ending, but I didn't, uh, not necessarily, I would say. Yeah. about you, Jordan? No, it's going to be hard pressed to find anything I don't like about this album, first of all. Um, But (laughs) the, the end of Danny Boy has Martha, his sister, coming in doing backgrounds and they do sort of this weird ad lib thing together, uh, which I love and it feels totally correct to me. And that, you know, that being said, I, when I write songs, three minutes is long. So like six and a half minutes is insane to me. Um, but it doesn't, it does not feel, um, it doesn't feel lacking brevity. Gotcha. All right. Wayne, your score? Seven. Jordan, your score? Eight. And this is my four. All right. Next song is April Fool's. And even though this uh, this record didn't have any official singles made for it, they did do a video for the song. It's interesting. Um, you guys watch the video at all? I did. It's it is the video is only four minutes long. The album version is just over five minutes long. So they did they did cut a little bit. Granted, I think the extra minute on the album version lets us hear. Ben Montench on the organ because yeah. that part is kind of skipped skipped out of the the video, um, and Martha is definitely prominent on the vocals. You you brought that up on on the previous song, uh, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Wayne, what do you got on this? Because I, I I'm looking at scores and I know you like this a little more than. Um, and I loved it. I loved it from the minute I heard it. Um, it it's everything I liked about the first track. Um, turned up to 11. Um, and I say, the, I, I love, I, I, I guess I can't say for sure. I know uh, what he meant by the fish comment, but it definitely felt like this relationship has a shelf life. Um, so this, this whirlwind romance that, that he's in, he knows at some point 
the fish is going to start to smell. We're going to have to get out of here. But um, and I know that I, it makes sense that the video could cut because there was at least 30 seconds at the end, which was definitely John Bryan stuff that I do definitely remember from his his uh, solo album. At the end, it kind of starts to play with different things. Yeah. Jordan, what do you got on April Fool's? Um, I love the entrance of the drums. It starts at the just a little drum machine. And then when that snare comes in with the backbeat and the shaker, I think that's Keltner, right? I think that's Jim Keltner playing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that sound, I, I'm always, you know, again, I, that's something, that particular moment, I try to recreate when I'm making records. Uh, I don't think I've ever done it. but And actually, this new Lydia Loose record that my brother Jason engineered, I definitely referenced this album sonically a lot. And I think Jason did a really good job with it, but that, that um, moment is outstanding. And even just waiting on the piano, you know, I think a lot of this is credited to John Bryan probably. And this is the only record they've ever made together. And, you know, there's some backstory about the process of making this record, but those, that decision to wait for the piano to come in until, you know, the second half of verse one, and it just comes into the left hand. So he's not even playing in the right yet. Uh, those kinds of decisions are so crucial to keeping the song interesting outside of just piano vocal, you know? Yeah. So let's talk about the backstory a little bit. Cause didn't they track like, I don't know, 50 or 60 different songs That's my understanding. and they- racked up almost almost a million dollars worth of, of studio time during, during the process. I don't, I think that's, I haven't heard the million number, but I knew it was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I understand maybe that Wainwright was some, I was having a difficulty getting a hold of John Bryan at times. And, uh, something obviously, uh, rubbed him the wrong way. Because this to me is his, there isn't a better Rufus Wainwright record. This to me is kind of the one. Um, and I would really love for them to collaborate again, but who knows? Yeah. All right, Wayne. So tell us your score. A 12 this is my favorite song. All right. Jordan. Six. And this is my 10. And then next song is In My Arms. And this kind of follows the formula of the first song. You simmer for a minute before it starts cooking. And then his sister, Martha, joins him on the vocals. Um, at this point, at four minutes and nine seconds, it's the shortest song on the on the record. Yeah. What, what do you guys have on In My Arms? Um, I'd have to research this, but I feel like there's the, my, the song after my favorite song uh, typically gets a lower score. Um, and this one... I don't know. I guess there was, it has like a darker subject and I felt like they didn't play that enough. Um, 
her, his sister's harmonies, while beautiful, I think brighten the song up. Um, the only thing that's, it just felt like a dark, smoky jazz bar kind of a song um, yeah. that maybe just the piano. Uh, so I, the, the bass was like, that was what was keeping it, you know, in that kind of range. But I just thought there was some other things they did that, that brightened the song up. And it really felt like the kind of song that should just be a guy talking about, you know, singing his woes out in a, uh, just on a piano in a smoky, jazzy, dark bar. And the, the bass on this one is credited to Pierre Marchand. It's actually Peter, Peter. Marchand. I'm just kidding. <laughs> see, see, yeah. See, I, I was about to say, I can actually say the French pronunciation because he is. So, and he's, he's best known for his work with Sarah McLaughlin. Very cool. So he, he, co- he co-wrote a lot of her, her uh, big hits, building a mystery and, into the fire. Those are, those are co-writes on, 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 yeah. All right. Um, scores. I gave it a two. All right. And Jordan seven. And this is my three. And that leads us to Millbrook. So remember what I said about Billy Joel vibe, or maybe it's, I just equate any song that's sung by a male vocalist who references New York that you're, um, that I immediately go to your influence by Billy Joel. That's probably not the case, but that's the vibe that I got. Or maybe I'm just listening to too much Billy Joel the last couple of weeks, prepping for an upcoming episode. I mean, like you say, it's very, very piano based. So, I mean, it's not, it's not the craziest thing I've ever yeah. heard. It definitely, it, it takes you back in time. This definitely has a, a, a way back time feel to it. Um, and I live in the suburbs. So him talking about a suburbs, it just, it just somehow, for some reason it resonated to me. Okay. And at two minutes and 10 seconds, he can do a shorter song. Yeah. So it is possible. Get in, yeah. Get Jordan, what do you got on Millbrook? I love this tune. Um, this is a great uh, although my score won't reflect this, uh, but this is a great arrangement as well by Van Dyke Parks, who also was the reason uh, that Wainwright got signed. Um, and he's all over this record, but it's a specifically good string arrangement. Um, you know, working in digital media, this record was all cut on 24 analog. So uh, the click track, you know, while it was employed at that time period was clearly not heavily employed in this album. And that's one thing I really love is that you can kind of feel everything kind of pushing and pulling. Um, And that's a good example of that. Uh, I think it's a beautiful track. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's okay. We, um, there's a couple scores that I don't like of mine coming up. So, um, this is my six. Wayne, your score? A five. And then Jordan? Three. Okay. Next song is Baby. My 
and looking at scores, Jordan, this is one of your higher rated songs. Get us get us started on Baby while you like it. Well, this is one of those really kind of gut wrenching, uh, great performance on from Wainwright and great great string arrangement from Van Dyke Parks. And you know, it's one of those pieces of music where when I listen to it, I stop uh, trying to figure out how they did it. And I'm more astonished that they, that it, that it is, that it exists. I just think it's a really brilliant piece of recording. Yeah. That transition between the last two verses is so gorgeous. Crazy. Like, yeah. Um, and it's, it's probably the first time that I'm going to say on this record that even though it's, you know, five minutes long, that you don't need to slice anything off of this song. Mm. It's, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Wayne, what, what do you got on, I, on baby? I, I feel bad because I literally wrote in my notes that that space in between the last two verses made me feel like that the song was over, especially <laughs> with those big banging piano notes. Like, I feel like that's what you do to close it out. Um, so then when it started, then it started to feel long because I guess I'd psyched myself out. I told myself it was over, and so then it, and then it went on. Well, so wouldn't I, wouldn't be the first time that you and I have differed on an opinion on a song. Wow, that really I thought that never <laughs> happens. <laughs> All right, um, this is my nine. Wayne, your score a four, and then Jordan N. All right, and next song is Beauty Mark. I think Alice sang a lovely Norma You prefer Robson in the deep river I may not be so manly, but still I know you love me Even if I don't have your beauty, my beauty Wayne, what do you got on Beauty Mark? I like the song... Um, I could say conceptually, like the idea of, you know, singing the song to his mother and put not, I mean, pointing out their differences, but making sure he, he points out, you know, what the, the similarities and what makes them, you know, wh- how they're, they're similar. Um, so I just thought, I thought it was a nice, sweet song, you know, to his mom. And, and the- say, is there a triangle in this? I'm trying to figure out what that, I, I, I because that's not above John Bryan. I think he he to add a triangle. Who who knows? I mean, my notes on this is this is a John Bryan song if I've ever heard one. Because mm. there is a lot going on on this. They jam pack a lot in this two minute song. So, Jordan, what do you got on this? This one, it's I mean, it's great. I you know I could listen to all these songs, but this one is the in the more cartoony, cutesy range than. Uh, what my taste is personally pulled towards. Yeah. Um, I had to look up famous beauty marks on Google. Sure. I'm sure there you is, did that pretty quickly. Yeah. Stylecraze.com. So who, who do you think Wayne, they, they listed as the most popular. Uh, that was number two. Oh, my favorite Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford was number one. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought she would be ahead of Marilyn Monroe, but you know what? She, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Jordan, it, it, you have any f- f- 
favorite people with beauty marks? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you at least thought about it. I, I did. I, I really tried. Yeah. <laughs> I was I I was I was hoping you were going to say Paula Abdul, but you didn't. So yeah. All right, uh, let's get some scores. Um, Wayne, your score six, and then Jordan two, and this is my five. All right, next song, Barcelona. In Spain, And the first time that I listened to this song, I thought I heard him say Frigile, and I thought he was singing about a Christmas story. <laughs> That's good. Um, I, and then I looked at the lyrics and realized that it's not Italian. He's actually, this is, uh, I'm going to completely slaughter it if I, if I try and say this. So, um, Fuge Regal Fantissima? Fantissima. So that... Okay, so that is that is from the opera of Macbeth. Ah, I've always wondered that. Uh, but what's Fuji mean? It means flee. The whole the whole phrase means flee regal phantasm. That's what I'm yes. talking about. See, who writes like that? That's incredible. Yeah, that's absolutely. This is one of the songs that I I, I liked it. You know, through the first few cursory listens, but reading the lyrics and then kind of just listening to it in headphones and focusing on it, then this one really rose to the top. It's also, I think it's got, it's got like a Spanish guitar in it, which yeah, hasn't yeah. been used. Um, but just that whole idea that to escape this, you know, this, you know, I've, it's broken up. Our relationship has ended and he's still, everything's going to be okay in Barcelona is what it amounts to. And he's going to get away from that phantasm and that, that, that illusionary apparition and all of that's going to be gone and he can, you know, go to bullfights and, and it's warm. Just bring his summer clothes. I, re- I really like this song. There's a lot packed into it. Mm-hmm. I found a quote from, from Rufus. You guys want to hear this? Sure. Yeah. So he says, this song is loosely about AIDS. It's about feeling like you want to go someplace and dance in the street and forget your troubles. I went to Barcelona to do just that and had a horrible time. My friend got strep throat. The hotel was a ripoff. Our car was towed and we were robbed by gypsies. The line Fuji Regal Fantisma is Italian. It's from Verde's Macbetto, which is Macbeth. It means flea regal phantasm. It's when Macbeth is going mad and sees the ghost. In my mind, the ghost was AIDS. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Makes it a little heavier. Once I read that, I was like, this is my favorite song on the record. I love it. So this is this is my top. This is a, this gets a, a 12. Wayne, what do you got? 10. And then Jordan? 11. And I never thought that I would give a top score to something that was um, inspired by an opera. There's, I mean, this song, this record has lots of opera references, yeah. though, so... It was a good chance here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Next song is Matinee Idol. Matinee 
I'm I'm gonna defer to you because your your score is a little bit higher than mine. What do you got on this? Um, you know what I I, I like the story. Um, I like it's got a very cabaret style uh, musically to it. Um, and there's like a it feels like and there's like a change of mood at the that part with the underlying love of the public eye, and then it kind of gets a little bit darker. Um, and I I think that's a xylophone and. I don't know what the the almost sounds like uh, the percussion of like knocking on wooden blocks, but I just I don't know the whole thing. It kind of had that '40s, you know, Hollywood feel to it, but uh, I I just I enjoyed it. And I read that this was inspired by um, River Phoenix. He wrote it the night after River Phoenix died. Oh wow! Well, that that's even cooler. Yeah. Jordan, what do you got on this? I like it. I mean, I love it. And it's a good testament to good production. It's a good song. But like Millbrook, it's a little more uh, tongue and cheeky and a little more uh, playing dress up. Whereas a song like Baby and Barcelona feel very, very sincere. Yeah. All right. Scores. This is my least favorite. Wayne, what do you got? Eight. And then Jordan? Four. Okay. Next song is Damned Ladies. So go back to our opera reference, right? Um, Jordan, This. Uh, let's start with you. This is my favorite song on the record. Um, this song starts with, a, I don't know, key-wise, but it's a minor ninth, you know, like a effectively a C to a D-flat an octave above that. Um, and just that tension out of the gate, very intentional. And then the way he's able to weave a melody out of that into something consonant and memorable and at the same time seemingly correct uh, is very stunning to me. And also that he does it sincerely. It doesn't seem put on or that um, it seems like he discovered it rather than created it. And uh, the whole track is that way to me. Uh, It's beautifully said. Wayne, what do you got? Um, I like I I found all of the opera references uh, interesting to the point where I was like looking them all up to see where they came from and see if I could find out, you know, to make to kind of bring all the lyrics, you know, to life for me. But I, there's something about the tone of it that I guess I think a lot of it coming as I did like matinee idol. So coming off of it, it seemed <laughs> like a like a bummer. Yeah, and we. Work. We talked about Desdemona on our episode with the alternate roots because they have a song called Desdemona. You remember who Desdemona is? Uh, the wife of Othello. Yeah. So I went to college. 
All right, here here's here's the one the one uh, comment that I that I found online uh from Rufus. He says this is a song about my obsessive relationship with opera heroines Madame Butterfly Tosca Mimi. Has a Viennese type arrangement, sort of like something you'd hear in The Third Man. In the song I lament how these women are constantly dying brutal deaths, which I can see coming but cannot stop. And it gets me every time. Did you notice that those are, those are, I don't know if all of them, but many of those are the characters in that video for uh, April 4th. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. Oh, I did not put that together. Interesting. Very cool. All right. Scores. This is, this is number 11 for me. Wayne, your score? Uh, this was my lowest score, one. All right. And then Jordan? 12. All right. Next song is Sally Ann. That's Martha providing some background vocals again, and Ben Montench is on the Hammond organ. Do you guys know what Sa- Sally Ann is? I do not. I, I, neither do I. It's the Canadian nickname for the Salvation Army. Hmm. Does that change anything for, for this reference then? No, I mean, I, I don't have anything like, it didn't, it was just not one of my upper echelon songs. I, I noticed that it had no piano, which uh, a guy who plays the piano so well and is kind of on all of all these songs, you really notice it when the piano's gone. This had like an old, felt like an old cowboy song. Yeah. Jordan, what do you got on Sally Ann? Well, this is like, let's take a, let's imagine this record is 12 episodes for a season. And this is the episode where they like go out West for no reason. And something that is inconsequential happens and then they go back. That's essentially what this, this song feels like to me. It's like, I don't, I don't really know why we went here, but, but we're back <laughs> after this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm looking at my score. I think I scored this way too high. Um, I gave this an eight. Wow. I'm listening to it while, while we're talking about it. I'm like, I don't know how this got my eight. Um, Wayne, your score three. And then Jordan one. All right, and then we're going to wrap this up. This is Imaginary Love. So I really like this as an album closer and I did find, I did find one comment from Rufus. I'm going to read this as well. Uh, talking about this song. It's about how whenever I fall in love, I have these expectations of the experience being a perfect dream, which of course ruins it. I imagine cradling my lover's head in my lap in a cab in the middle of the night and drinking champagne in an elegant hotel suite. 
but life's rarely like that. And I usually end up walking home by myself in the rain. And once I read that comment, I'm like, oh yeah, this is totally a soundtrack to somebody walking home in the rain. Mm -hmm. So Wayne, what do you got on imaginary love? I, I, and like I say, I, my notes to the same thing. Great closer. I think the harmonies are, are perfectly placed. Um, and the piano gets most of the attention musically, but you know, there's, uh, some great drums and other, other things that to kind of fill it out. But I love how it tied to me. It tied into that first, uh, like I'd said, that opening track where it kind of has, it ends and begins with that, you know, that real, you know, fearful part. And then the, and so, like I said, that made the, the middle part of the almost seem imaginary. Like it's something you think about in between staring across the room and looking at somebody. So then to close it with imaginary love, um, this real overly romantic, like a lot, it kind of felt like it tied in with that first track. And I love, I, I love t- putting a bow on things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly my, my thoughts as well. I, I like this as a, as an album closer. I feel like it, it wraps all of these. Was it, was it Jordan? Did Jordan, did you talk about all these different episodes? This felt yeah. like, the, the, yeah. the, the season finale totally yeah anything else on imaginary love jordan i mean uh i think it's john bryan playing pretty much everything on this track i know it's him playing drums um which you can kind of tell is it's like definitely not keltner um but they sound so cool and the bass sounds so cool and this is one where wayne wainwright really lets his range go. I mean, that's, you know, and I would sing along to this as a kid and that's up there and that's really hard and he's belting. Uh, and the chord progression is so viney and cool and uh, effortless. And it's just, the track itself has this really beautiful kind of dark nighttime purpley quality to it that uh, I think is, it's just magical. It's really pretty stunning. Yeah. All right. So scores for the season finale here. Wayne, your score? Nine. And Jordan? Also a nine. All right. And this is my seven. All right. Any parting comments Um, on this record? I would say a big thank you to Jordan because I don't know that I would have listened to it, but it's one of those things I I feel better for having listened to it. Mm. Yeah. And this is where I go. Did we miss anything? Did we cover everything? I think we kind of covered everything. Yeah. This is my, this is like my all time. I, I know this thing inside and out, and I'm pretty sure we got it all. <laughs> right. All right. Um, any guesses on our number one song? Probably yeah. April Fools, right? April Fools was number two. That had an average score of nine point three three. Barcelona. Um, we all like that. Uh, that was my highest score. That was Jordan's second highest and Wayne's third highest. So that that had an average score of 11. Our third was Imaginary Love. Fourth was Damn Ladies, which should have been higher, but Wayne kind of tanked <laughs> it with his lowest score. And then uh, rounding out our top five is Baby. Average score of 7.66. Right. That's that's pretty solid five. Very. I would listen to that top five again. 
for sure. All right. Well, this was this was great. So thanks for thanks for bringing up a record that uh, Wayne and I weren't super familiar with. So, you know, Jordan, tell 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 our listeners where they can find all the happenings of you. Um, all the happenings are happening typically uh, on my Instagram profile or Spotify, Apple, all that stuff. And there's new music coming up all the time. Cool. Another Instagram. Do you, do, do you notice a trend here, Wayne? I feel like all of our guests are saying, don't find me on Twitter or Facebook because those suck. Go to Instagram. That's where all the cool people are, buddy. Yeah. There's less less dialogue in Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we need to tr- trade. Wayne, do you want to start handling the Twitter account? Well, I'll do the Instagram I account. I don't think I could. Okay. <laughs> All right. So as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes by going to Records Revisit Podcast. You can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page and the Twitter page, which I man, but Wayne mans the Instagram page, which is found at Records Revisited Podcast. And you can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Castbox Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Um, I haven't added us yet to Amazon, but I guess I probably need to get to that do you use alexa i uh yeah i'm glad if i if if this would have gone out she would have heard you say her name and she would have asked me what I, <laughs> she she wakes me up in the morning she plays spotify for me yeah alexa is a big part of my life all right perfect so thanks for listening please go support the arts i would tell you to go to live show but you know the drill on that so find your favorite musicians on well, Instagram Live or YouTube Live or what have you. But in the process, buy a T-shirt of the band, buy a record. You can go visit a record store. Just be safe about it. Wear a damn mask, okay? And we are Records Revisited, and we are out. Out. Out.